The title of our message today is Overcoming Anxiety the Biblical Way. I have a second title, and that is Overcoming Fear When Life is Unraveling. Because oftentimes when we talk about overcoming anxiety, we have a tendency, and we, I mean us pastors, have a, a, a tendency to trivialize trouble. We talk about worries like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Um, most of the things that you worry about never happen, so you're worrying about things that shouldn't happen. And certainly there are mental disorders. It, it is said that 70% of Americans have had, have, or will have a mental disorder connected to anxiety before it is all said and done. So there's a good chance that you have been anxious about something you should not have been anxious about. There's a good chance, 70% chance that it will happen in your lifetime. However, sometimes life unravels. Sometimes life takes dark turns. Sometimes life takes ugly turns. And sometimes you find yourself with things that you really are anxious about and there's no way to get away from it. I know personally I've got something going on in my life now that is a legitimate anxiety, a legitimate, causes me legitimate fear. And this particular study has been very helpful for me. I've had a couple of weeks to prepare for it and going back and just looking at these verses that I'm going to be sharing with you guys tonight. It is extremely powerful and will really help us to know that God can make a difference even when something is legitimate. And I don't want to trivialize it at all. You may be dealing with some kind of anxiety that doesn't mean anything, like poor paramedics that get called to panic attacks. The person thinks they're having a heart attack and you might have been that person, right? That, that have called or, or gone to the hospital. I think I'm dying. I'm having a heart attack. And they're like, no, nothing wrong with you. Go ahead and go home only to come back the next day, right? I think I'm dying. I'm having a heart attack once again. The, um, I would like to start with a study that I found, uh, an article that I found out of the Mayo Clinic. And I want to read the opening statement to it. And then I want to uh, share with you what they say happens to us from anxiety. Now, they couple together in this article, anxiety, fear, and worry. Here's what they say. Stress symptoms may be affecting your health, even though you might not realize it. You may think illness is to blame for the irritating headache or the frequent insomnia or your decreased productivity at work, but stress may actually be the cause. A little bit later on in the same article, they say, indeed, stress symptoms can affect your body, your thoughts, your feelings, and your behavior. Being able to recognize common stress symptoms can help you manage them. Stress that's left unchecked can contribute to mental health problems and health problems such as high blood pressure, heart disease, uh, obesity, and diabetes. They then give this chart, and the chart tells you which way it affects your body first. Headaches, muscle tension or pain, chest pains, fatigue, change in sex drive, stomach upset, sleep problems. And then they talk about your mood. They say it can give you anxiety, restlessness uh, on your body, feelings of being overwhelmed, uh, irritability or anger, sadness or depression. And then on your behavior, uh, anger, outbursts of anger, drug and alcohol misuse, tobacco, they say tobacco use, 
uh, social withdrawal and exercising less or more often, that it affects the way that you keep yourself healthy in whatever it is that you do uh, to keep yourself healthy. Now, all of that's a little disconcerting, isn't it? You read it and you think there's a lot of problems that can come from stress. Now, here's what they say you should do if you find yourself stressed out. Getting regular physical activity, practicing relaxation technique, relaxation techniques such as deep breathing and meditation, keeping a sense of humor, spending time with family and friends, setting aside time for hobbies such as reading a book and listening to music. Now, I have no doubt. I'm glad you guys had the same response that I had to their help because I have no doubt that some of this stuff is going to help. All right. I have no doubt about that. They're not putting it in there. There's studies. I'm sure that they're not like, we got to put something in, so let's put it in. It just seems really trivial to me. You're having anxiety, worry, stress. It's killing you. Read a book. <laughs> Call a friend. Now, they also add to get help. And what they mean by get help is talk to a therapist, talk to a psychologist, or see a psychiatrist who may give you things for anxiety. And when it comes to anxiety and fear, uh, there's a lot of a lot of people are on it. And I looked for the number of how many in the United States are on some kind of a drug that's connected to anxiety and fear. And I couldn't find those numbers, but it's a lot. And I do want to say at this point in the study that if you are on some kind of a drug for some mental health issue, don't stop taking your don't, don't just all of a sudden decide to stop taking your drugs. I'm not one of those pastors that says this is of the devil and you, you know, you don't need those things. The brain, your mind operates in your brain. Your brain operates off of electric impulses and chemicals and something could be wrong with your brain, just like something could be wrong with your heart. And so if you do want to get off of your drug, which maybe it is overprescribed, I believe it is, and maybe you do want to get off of it, do it under a doctor's supervision uh, and do it with your doctor's advice. Go to your doctor and talk to them about you want to change your medication, reduce your medication. Don't just do it on your own, all right? And you can't just stop. Some of these things cannot be stopped just cold turkey. There's a process. There's a way in which you have to get off of it and you've got to get off of it slowly. So that's just a, a little bit of a warning here. But I want to read you now um, a couple of verses, a couple of passages. The first one's kind of lengthy but I think it's worth us reading. And this is Jesus talking about worry, specifically talking about what you eat, drink, and wear. So I'm going to talk about, I'm going to say Jesus is talking in this passage about something that is more trivial rather than something that could really be fearful. Remember, we have the chemicals that are released with anxiety and stress and fear and worry are there for a reason so that if we need them in our lives, they're there to help us be able to respond quickly. You know, the whole fight or flight thing. And it's hilarious to me, by the way, when people try to scare people and they've got a fight button instead of a flight button and some little skinny kid punches some guy in the face because he scared him. It's like, ah, boom, I'm a flight guy. All right, I wish I wasn't. I wish I was a fight guy, but I'm a flight guy. I'll turn and run. I'll scream and run out of the room when I see a small spider. Um, so, so here's Jesus. He's talking about worry. He says, therefore, I say to you, oh, this, by the way, is Matthew 26, 25 through 33. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, 
nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You are, are you not more of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? Now, you can't add a cubit to your stature by worrying, but I like to say, what's the, what's the favorite height of someone who is 5'9"? Five 5'10". Five what's the favorite height of someone who's 5'10"? 5'11". Six foot, 6'1", six right? That's because us guys like to make ourselves taller. We like to tell people we're taller. But you can't change your height by worrying. He goes on to say, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What shall we wear? Uh, or what shall, uh, let's see, uh, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Jesus' response to not worrying is to put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's going to be about your business if you're about his business. And as a believer, I'm going to ask the question now, are you putting God first? Are you seeking his kingdom first? That is going to help you in anxiety and stress and worry and fear. And it's good to look honestly at your life, to examine yourself openly and honestly as to whether or not you really have put God first and are about his kingdom first. I also believe that this is something that we probably have to return to regularly. We, we kind of, are, we, we, we come back to putting ourselves first. I like to say that selfishness is our, our reset button. It's like we get reset, whoop, selfish. And we got to come back and put God first. And then we get selfish again. We got to come back and put God first. So it's good to evaluate. Now, here's our text. I want to read it together, but then we're going to come down and we're going we're gonna to unpack it, okay? So this is Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. By the way, it's commanded over 300 times in the Bible not to be anxious. It could be the word worry. It could be the word um, afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. But that's commanded over 300 times. The most of any command in all of the Bible is do not be afraid. And don't you think that's for a reason? God's telling us for a reason. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Now, this is an amazing passage. I'm so glad that it is one of them that I memorized when I was still a teenager. Back in those days, we would get cards. We'd go and buy memory cards. We would look at it and flip it over, you know, try to memorize it, try to say it, look back at it again, flip it over and try to look at it again. Then later on, they, the cards progressed to having little blank spaces that you could buy and you would have to fill in the blanks until you finally memorized it. 
And I probably, as a teenager, I'm talking very young, 14, 15 years old, I probably memorized 40 or 50 verses. The interesting thing is, I'm still quoting them today. I, I own those verses because I memorized them. I put them to memory. And this verse has been particularly helpful to me because when I'm anxious at night and I'm laying in bed and I can't sleep, I have gone over this verse in my mind. Meditate on the word of God day and night, Psalms 1 says. And so I meditate on his word and I would think this psalm through or this, this passage through uh, bit by bit, kind of like I want to do with you guys here today. So let's take just a moment to talk about God's word and the power that's in God's word. And I kind of did this when we were, had our opening prayer, but I want to read you just a couple of verses. There's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. When someone comes up to me after a service and asks me to sign their Bible, it's always a weird moment for me because I, like, I tell them, I didn't write it. You know, I'm not quite sure why you want me to sign it, but I'll sign it and I'll put 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 in it because I'm, you know, signing God's word. Here's what it says. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, which means we're, we're studying something that's inspired and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, I like to throw in woman of God as well, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means everything I need when it comes to these things, correction, um, doctrine, righteousness, comes from the word of God. I'm not saying that there might not be some truth that is not in the Bible, but I'm saying everything we need for life and godliness comes from the pages of Scripture. Doesn't mean a doctor might not go in and operate on me, didn't find the information in the Bible, right? But it means for what I need in Christ comes from the Word of God. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You are his disciples if you abide in his word. That's our sign. That's how we know. When people say to me, how do I know I'm saved? My response will be, do you want to keep his word? It doesn't mean we always do because we know the Bible says that our flesh struggles against our spirit and that we don't do the things that we want because the flesh and the spirit are in this battle. So we need forgiveness. First John chapter one says, if anybody says they have no sin, they're lying. And the truth's not in them. But a little bit later on, it tells us that if, we, if we're in Christ, we do not sin and the evil one can't touch us. And so by looking at those two verses, we realize that we want to keep God's word and we do it, but sometimes we fail. That's, that's how we interact with God's word. And I just want to give you the priority once again of making sure you're reading God's word, you're memorizing God's word, you're studying it, you're listening to it, and an encouragement that you study the things you're interested in. Find something, like if it's anxiety, find out all of the things that the Bible says. Go do a, do a deep dive into anxiety in the Bible. Things that I could, couldn't share with you with one study, you can dive into and find more and more that comes from God's word. So here we are, unpacking God's word, which is inspired, and we wanna do the things that are here. First of all, the command, be anxious for nothing. And I told you that 
This command is given over 300 times in the Bible. With this command, with, when Jesus gave a command to someone, he gave the ability to be able to do it. One of the first examples that we see in that in the Bible is the man with the withered hand. Jesus is beginning his ministry. I think he's in Nazareth, if I remember right. And there's a man with a withered hand there. Jesus is there on the Sabbath and he looks out at the scribes and Pharisees. He's angry because they don't want him to heal this man on the Sabbath day because they think it's breaking the law. And Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. His hand's withered. And someone might say, that's mean to say to a man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. However, when he tried to stretch out his hand or as he stretched it out, the power came to be able to do it. Now, I've never healed anybody like that. I, I, when, I, when I pray for someone to be healed, I usually lay my hand on them and I say, Lord, you said that we will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so I'm asking you to touch them and heal them. But Jesus just spoke it. Pick up your bed and go your way. Guy gets up, picks up his bed and goes his way. With the command comes the ability to be able to do it. So when, God, so, when, so when the Lord says here through Paul, all scriptures inspired, be anxious for nothing. With the command comes the ability to be able to do it. If you're overwhelmed with anxiety right now, he has commanded you to not be anxious. And over 300 times in the Bible. And so with that command, I'm believing some of you guys are feeling peace right now. That God's beginning to settle your heart already as you hear God's command, as you think, okay, I'm going to make an effort to not be anxious. Because that's what it takes to be obedient to God's word, right? You're like, I'm going to make an effort here to not be anxious. And God gives you that ability to be able to do it. By the way, loving the unlovable is another thing. That as you do it, God gives you the ability to do it. Forgiving the unforgivable is another thing. And I do know there is a time when someone has to repent for restoration. There's also a time Jesus forgave on the cross without, uh, without them repenting. And the Bible says if we're giving a gift to God and we remember that someone, that we've hurt someone, forgive them. It doesn't say go and it says forgive them. That's without repentance. So there's a time to let it go. We forgive as we've been forgiven and we let it go restoration might not be able to take place. And we could talk about that in another study about forgiveness. But that's another thing that with the command comes the ability to be able to do it. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's not just saying fear not. He doesn't just say, fear not. He says, fear not, for I am with you. And then gives all kinds of other reasons why we shouldn't fear. He doesn't just tell us to not be anxious, but throughout the Bible, he tells us why. Because he is our God, because he is good, because he is gracious, because he is merciful, and so on and so forth. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Such a short verse, so easy to remember, so easy to memorize. And when our mind begins to go out of control, when we can't seem to bring it under control, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Now, the second thing he says is, be anxious for nothing, second command, but everything with prayer. So prayer includes asking, but that's not what prayer is all about. 
Prayer is the way in which you communicate with God and you listen to Him. It's like a, it's a two-way thing. And God can speak to you. And I'm very careful when, when God speaks to me, apart from the Word of God, I'm very careful to say, I think God said, and I just want to encourage you along those lines because I hear people say, God told me this, you know, to tell you. It's like, at least you think so. Remember, when it comes to prophecy, don't despise it, but judged by everyone, right? Everybody judges it. So we are to judge what's said. So when someone comes to me and said, God told me to tell you something, and that doesn't happen that much anymore. I think it used to happen when I was younger. People would look at me when I was like 25 teaching. They were like, God told me to tell you this. And I would tell them, well, thank you for sharing. I'm going to pray about it. I'll consider it, but I'm going to test it. And they're like, you're going to judge me? No, I'm going to judge your prophecy. I'm not going to judge you. I literally had somebody tell me one time, you're going to judge me? No, I'm not quite sure you're not judging me with your word, but no, I'm going to test it. So prayer is this interaction with God, and we all want to have that interaction. It's not just asking him to help you with your anxiety. It's praying. It's going for a walk with God. It's sitting out on your back patio and, and, and spending time with him. I like to be quiet before I ever start talking. The Bible says don't rush into his presence. I like to walk for a little bit and just set my heart on God. Think about him. I'm walking with him before I ever start to speak. That's prayer. As I'm quietly walking with him, not saying anything, setting my heart on him, getting things right. So he says, but everything with prayer. In, um, in Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters who spreads out its roots over the river and will not fear when heat comes. And, uh, and the, uh, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease from yielding fruit. So this is even when it's a year of drought. There's a legitimate reason to be fearful, but when you put your trust in God, Psalms 34, 4, talking about prayer, says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. That's seeking God through prayer. There's power. There's power in the Lord's prayer. And I encourage you to use it this way. There are nine, I, I count anyway, I think people count it differently, but I count nine sections in the Lord's prayer. And sometimes when I'm up late and I'm praying, I want to cover those nine sections because Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. We know he's not telling us to pray the Lord's Prayer over and over again because right before he gave it, he said, don't be like the heathens who think that they're heard for their many words and people who pray lengthy prayers just to be heard by their prayers. So I will pray the Lord's Prayer, but I pray it, try to pray it fervently and meaning it. You know, my father who is in heaven and then stop and pause. We have a dad who loves us and cares for us and is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy. You are right. You are true. You are complete. You know everything. You are holy. Uh, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Lord, I want your kingdom and I want your will to be done for whatever else I pray for. And you break it down as you pray. I'm just, you know, people will often ask, how do I pray? I don't know how to pray. How do I pray? Well, prayer is talking with God, both listening and speaking and Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer as a way to help you pray. And especially 
If you're a new Christian or you're just getting things fired back up with them again, use the Lord's Prayer. Not just for that. I still use it today after walking with the Lord for, I don't know, many decades. Um, the next thing it says is, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication. Now, the word supplication means asking. This is the part of prayer where you ask God. And it makes sense that you would ask God for the things that you are stressed over. It may be something very real, like the lepers who saw Jesus. Son of man, have mercy on us. They have a very real reason to be fearful and they call out for mercy. And so we call out to God and ask him to help. And he's giving you a replacement for anxiety. I believe that this is helpful in all kinds of things. If we're anxious, we ask God for what we're anxious about. If we are tempted, rather than thinking about fighting the temptation, it is interesting, we get into such habits. And if you've ever had to break, uh, break smoking, if you've ever had to quit smoking, you understand that. Not that I've done that, but I've read about people who do, all right? Well, I smoked once in the seventh grade in the boys' bathroom, and I ran outside to throw up. Why, why I, I was in the bathroom. Could have just thrown up right there. Instead, I go up and throw up in front of people that tease me from then on, right? That I, I ran outside. So it wasn't for me, even when I wanted it. Uh, but you'll wake up in the morning. You'll be triggered. You're triggered right after you wake up or after you have a meal. You're fine to after you have that meal. And sometimes you'll say, um, I'm not going to have a, a cigarette. Ten minutes later, you're lighting up a cigarette. It's like the, I'm not going to have a cigarette triggers for you to have that cigarette. And when you're, whatever it might be, whether it's lust, whether it's pornography, whether it's, it's cigarettes, whether it's an, 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 any other addiction or breaking uh, an addiction to alcohol or whatever it might be, oftentimes it's when you're thinking, I'm not going to do that. You start thinking about it. And so instead of thinking, I'm not going to do that, put your mind in a positive place about thinking about God. Let that be a trigger. Replace that trigger that you might go, I'm going to, when I'm having this kind of anxiety, rather than thinking, you know, I'm not going to, if I'm having a trigger after dinner, then go out and begin to do something spiritual. Pray, read, you know, uh, get together with your wife or husband and pray. Something that's going to help you put something positive on it. And this is what, G, what uh, Paul is talking about when he says, bring the supplications. Ask God. And Jesus, of course, said in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. In Romans 10, Call out on the name of the Lord and he will answer you. God has promised that he is going to answer you in prayer. I realize at times that you may go, I, I pray and I don't hear him. Well, I understand that because God's not going, you know, Fred, glad you prayed. You know, he's not physically talking to you. But you can train yourself that he will speak to you. He will answer you. No is an answer too, by the way, right? But he will answer you. And this is in the continual. Ask and keep asking and you will find. Knock and keep knocking and the door will be opened. Seeking, uh, ask and keep asking, you'll receive. Knock and keep knocking and the door, yeah, all of those are there. And then in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. This, by the way, is a fisherman's verse. Casting all your cares upon him. Lord, let it get bit. Let me get bit. Let me get bit. Let me get bit because he really does care for you. And when you're praying and you're casting your cares on him, knowing that he truly does love you. James 5, 16b, the effective, 
fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You want to pray effectively, which I'm going to say, first of all, we know that unconfessed, unrepentant sin can separate you from God. So effective prayer is a prayer of repentance. When the Bible says, out of James, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You know what the very next line is? Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Draw near to God starts with a repentance and, and you make things right. That makes it effective. The effective fervent, you're praying with meaning. You're not just going through the motions. You're actually calling out to God, maybe with tears, maybe with just great emotion. Of a righteous man avails much. And you're righteous because you got things right with him before. The Bible also says in James 4, 2, you don't have because you don't ask. And you don't receive when you ask because you ask amiss. You're asking for something you should not be asking for. In the Old Testament, Hezekiah was sick. He was on his deathbed. And Isaiah comes to him. And Isaiah says, thus says the Lord, you're going to die from the sickness. As, as Isaiah leaves, Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and cries out to God. And God stops Isaiah in the courtyard and says, go back and tell him he's going to live more. Theologically, I don't know what to do with that passage because you've got him telling him this is God's word that you're going to die, but God knows he's not going to die. God knows he's going to turn his face to the wall and that he's going to call out to him. Maybe, maybe there's a loophole there. Maybe he dies of that sickness later on. I, you know, maybe there's some kind of a loophole, but I don't know what to do with it. All I know is that prayer gave him more time. Prayer changed his destiny and prayer changes our destiny and God moves because we pray. This is not just something to make you feel better, to help you feel be uh, better about it when your life is unraveling. And our lives are going to unravel eventually. Eventually, we're all going to die from something unless the Lord comes before we die. And so there is going to be that time when we call out to God and things continue to fall apart. But that doesn't make God's word not true. And it doesn't mean that we can't get rid of the anxiety when things are unraveling by seeking him in prayer. The next thing that it says is after supplication, asking with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so he says with supplication, which is asking with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So he's saying ask twice. And in the middle of that, with thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5, 16, talking about thanksgiving says, rejoice always in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We wonder about God's will. What exactly does God want for me? Where does he want me to live? What job does he want me to do? Who does he want me to marry? Well, we know this. Rejoicing always and being thankful in everything is God's will for you. So I say in discovering God's will, which is not written in the Bible, you're, you're not going to find the name of the wife you're going to marry in the Bible unless you're dating a Miriam and you open up the Bible and boom, there it is. They're, okay, I'll do it. But you are going to find how God wants you to live, why you're married, why you're in a car, why you're in a house or the will for your life in general. So you can do what you know. I don't know what God wants for me in the area of a new car. I'm getting ready to buy a new car. My car is 10 years old. I'm getting ready to buy a new one. But I do know God wants me to rejoice always and be thankful in everything. So I can do what God's will is and then prayerfully make a decision. And if I make the wrong decision, God could correct me. And it's not the end of the world. Psalms uh, 106 says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good 
and his mercy endures forever. There's all kinds of reasons to be thankful. I know in my own life, I'm going through something now that is very much like something I've gone through in the past. And God answered my prayer in the past. And so when I thank him for what he's done for me in the past, I am reminded that God can be faithful for what I need him to do now. And it's supernatural. I need him to do something supernatural in my life. But he did it before. And he can do it again. And so I have to step back at a certain point, ask him and trust him. I can't roll up my sleeves. It's not that kind of thing. Trust me, I wish it was. When we face something that we can roll up our sleeves, maybe we just get in the way. But this is something that I just got to trust God with. I got to put it in, your, in his hands and say, Lord, I need you to do this. And so being thankful for what he's done for me in the past is helping me to know. It's helping me to move from a couple of weeks ago, I was at the place where I was saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Remember the man that did that when his son was demon possessed? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I was there a couple of weeks ago. Lord, I just don't seem to believe you could do anything here, but help my unbelief. But now I've come to the place after studying these passages for a couple of weeks of going, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm trusting you in the middle of this. And so finally, in verse seven, he says, and the peace of God who surpasses all understanding. So we're not talking about, ooh, that makes sense. I asked, I prayed, God moved, and now I have peace. We're talking about it surpassing all understanding. So this is, it, not, to the natural mind, you shouldn't have peace. By the way, have you ever had that peace? When you shouldn't have that peace? And all of a sudden you're like, I have that peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Jesus Christ. The peace of God. When you are anxious, when you are worried, when you are fearful, what you really want is peace. You want to be at peace with God and you want the peace of God. And as a Christian, we get both of them. We were at war with him before we came to him. We surrendered our life to him. And now we are at peace with him and we have the peace of God. I love this verse, Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What a promise. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. How phenomenal. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, Jesus said, all of you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's an invitation from Christ. Come to me, all of you who are weary. Are you worn out? Worn out from your anxiety? Worn out from life taking turns? You don't want road, you're going down roads you don't want to go down? Go to him. He said, come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. John 14, 27, Jesus talking about his peace said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He's talking to his disciples at the Last Supper in John 14. And he says, I'm going to give you my peace. One of you is going to betray me. Peter, I'll die for you. You're going to deny me, Peter, before before the sun rises. And I'm leaving you, but I'm going to leave you with another helper. 
and they're troubled. But he says, my peace, I leave with you. What a great promise. Maybe you're in the midst of that right now. In Psalms 94, 19, it says, in the multitude of my anxieties with me, your comforts delight my soul. I just love how these verses are so just bite size that we can just so easy to memorize. And what a verse to memorize. In the multitude of my anxiety within me, you, your comfort delights my soul. May you be delighted by the comfort of God in the midst of your anxiety, whether it is trivial and you shouldn't be anxious or whether it is very real and you should be anxious, these passages apply. I want to close with this thought. It's of Peter and the disciples looking out on the water in the middle of a storm. Jesus had already told them at one point, get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. Jesus is in the boat with them. They hit a storm in the middle. Peter wakes up Jesus and says, don't you care? We're perishing. You ever feel like Jesus is asleep in the boat? And Jesus says, he stands up, wind, cease and be still. And they say, who can this be that even the wind and waves obey him? And if you look at the few accounts that happen after that, the Gadarean, the, the legion, uh, the man who's possessed by the legion, and the few other accounts that are after that, it all speaks of who he is. Remember the man with legion runs up and goes, son of God, what have I to do with you? He, this demonic spirit actually confesses who he is. The, the rest of those passages help us to understand that. Now they're in a boat by themselves. Jesus says, get in the boat and go to the other side. That's his promise to them. They needed to learn. When Jesus said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side, they're not going to go under. Jesus says, go over, you're not going to go under. And so now he says, get in the boat, go to the other side, I'll meet you there. And he goes up on a mountain and prays. And in the middle of the night, he looks down and he sees them fighting against the storm. I love it. They're not quitting. They're rowing against the storm. They're, they're fighting it. So Jesus walks past them on the water. It's just like he's going to go meet them on the other side. And they see him. And they cry out a ghost. By a ghost, I don't know what they mean, by the way. I'm not quite sure what a ghost meant to a first century Jew. It's something I need to look up and learn a little bit more about. But they cry out that they see a ghost. And he says, don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter says, if it's you, then let me walk on, let me come to you on the water. And Jesus says, get out of the boat. He gets out of the boat. Should he be anxious? He's going to get into the water in a storm that they're, they're trying to row against, the wind and the waves, and he walks on the water. Not only did Jesus walk on the water, but Peter walked on the water. But the Bible says that he looked at the wind and he looked at the waves and he sank. And he cried out, Lord, help me. And Jesus reached down and grabbed him and said, get back in the boat, oh, you of little faith. And I think, wouldn't it have been, he's the only other guy to walk on water that we know of. Wouldn't it have been great had Jesus gone, really good job, Peter, you did good. You did good. You might have sunk, but you walked on water. Good job. But instead he's like, oh, you of little faith, because he expected more. What did he expect? That you wouldn't get obsessed by the wind and the waves, that he wouldn't have gotten obsessed by the wind and waves, but would have kept his eyes on Jesus and know that everything is okay. The wind and waves are there. Hard to ignore wind and waves. But if you keep your eyes on Christ, then you'll find you can make it through the storm yes. and our very real storm as well. Not just tr a trivial storm, but a very real storm. May God truly give you peace. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. 
Father, thank you for this great passage that is conditional, that we will have your peace if in the midst of our anxiety, we will make an effort by praying and asking. And Lord, we pray that we would do that and forgive us when we lack faith. Forgive us when we don't do the things that you've called us to do. And Lord, help us to walk close to you, to know you, to know that you're with us. Thank you for all your promises that you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind are stayed on you. Allow our minds to be stayed on you, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.